I wanted to come to you because I'm so excited about this series that we're in called Fearless and already the stories I'm hearing of people understanding and finally admitting their fears and leaning into trying to have faith uh, so that they can overcome those fears. Uh, you know, when I was young, I learned, I learned really young to, to take good-natured ribbing well. My dad was a high school football coach, and starting at the age of five, I was on the field with dad um, and the players. And when I was a little kid, even until now, um, when my hair grows, it doesn't grow long. It grows big. I've got, like, really thick hair, so it kind of grows out, not long. I'm losing it. But when it grows, it still grows out. So I got a lot of good-natured ribbing about my hair. I had really big front teeth when I was a young kid. Uh, my front teeth, like, stuck out so far that I broke them three times before my parents said, man, like, we probably should really help you. So I got made fun of every now and then for my teeth. I had some people called me Bucky here and there. If it weren't for modern dentistry, I'd probably be like a poster child for chiclets because I had two, like, hanging right out of the front of my mouth like, um, like a walrus. But what I understood is that, hey, that when, when, the, when the guys on the team started ribbing me like they were ribbing each other, that meant that I was in. So I loved it because the fact that they were talking to me, meant that they knew me, meant that I was in. So I learned to put up with that at an early age. There was only one type of kind of kidding in my life that bothered me. And it was spiritual kidding. And it wasn't that people were making fun of me, but starting in second or third grade, my friends on the playground to people on my dad's football team would kind of jokingly say this to me. Your name's Christian. Are you a Christian Christian? And when they asked me that, I would immediately like, kind of back up in my soul, and, and I would think to myself, like, why? Why, why, are you, why are you asking me that? And I would get defensive. And I realized even at a young age, I lived with this fear of kind of being found out spiritually. Uh, I lived with, if you take the notes out of your bulletin and you haven't done that already, I lived with a social fear of spiritual rejection. And I don't even know why, except it was just like planted in my heart. I had this social fear of being spiritually rejected. Are you a Christian Christian? I mean, it was an easy question to answer, but I thought, well, if I say yes, do you still want to be my friend? What does that mean for us? As we get into this series and we talk about moments of faith over fear, one of the things that I believe every Christian has to learn how to have faith in is the faith to live with a bold and an impactful faith. Uh, earlier this spring, our staff was together and we put up a, um, just a big kind of post-it note, one of those large post-it notes on the wall of one of our classrooms. And we said, why are Christians um, afraid to live with a bold faith? Why are Christians ashamed to live with a bold faith? Why do Christians not have impact? And we just started listing things up on the wall that I've put on your notes. Uh, we talked about fear of losing relational comfort if we started living with a bold faith. A fear of rejection. That if we let people know that, yes, we're Christians, Christian, that they might reject us. We, we thought people feared maybe not having answers to questions that would be asked of them. Or they feared the, per, the perception of outsiders towards them because they saw how they thought of other Christians. Or maybe just procrastination. They, they, they planned to live with a bold faith. They just weren't there yet. But at the end of the day, I think it all boiled down to at the end of the day, we just thought most people don't know how to do that. I mean, really, honestly, this message has this presupposition. Like, today's message has this presupposition built into it. For all of you who are listening here in our church and those of you who are streaming, here's what I believe of Christians. I believe that every Christian wants to have spiritual influence and impact on people. They just don't know how. I mean, that's my firm belief. When I talk to people about their faith, I haven't met a Christian who said, I don't, I, I, I don't want anyone to know about my faith or be impacted by my faith. 
I believe every Christian wants to have spiritual influence and spiritual impact on people, but they just don't know how. So as we're in this series called Fearless, learning how to live with faith over fear, if we want to have impact in our world, and we do, our church exists to see people who don't know God come to know who he is. If we are a church that wants to have spiritual influence and impact, we have to learn to live with faith over fear in this area of living with a bold and impactful faith. And we learn that again from Daniel. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel has been, as a person, kind of our role model for being fearless, having faith over fear. Daniel, as a book, has become our guidebook and our inspiration and our encouragement and our education for how to live with faith over fear. And we see in Daniel a person who had not only a bold faith, but he had a faith that was tactful. He had a faith that was tasteful to people. And he had a faith at the same time that was impactful. And here's what you need to understand about Daniel so that we can kind of set ourselves at the right place. Number one, we need to realize that both Daniel and us, we live in a hostile culture. And I think this conversation of faith over fear of having a bold faith needs to begin with a recognition of a hostile culture. Like you need to know that I know it's not easy. Like I was in high school in the early 90s. And when I later started being a youth pastor of kids that were growing up in the 2000s, I looked at their life and I thought, man, it's harder for them now than it was for me. And now that I have teenagers in the 2010 plus category, I'm thinking, boy, I think it's even harder for our teens today than it was for the teens 10 years ago when I was a youth pastor. And I know it's way harder than I, when I was a teenager 20 years ago. I think it's getting worse. As a matter of fact, just as a little bit of a proof of this, Richard Dawkins, who wrote the book, The God Delusion, one of the most well-known, outspoken atheists in our world today, uh, just a few months ago was invited to speak at Cal Berkeley. Uh, he was going to give a talk there on kind of freedom of speech from an, a campus radio station, uh, and he was uninvited because they went back through his Twitter feed and they saw where, where he had some unpleasant and unkind things to say about Islam and the Muslim faith. Um, and they just said, if you're going to talk that way um, about Islam and the Muslim faith, you, you can't come because you're intolerant of that. And Dawkins responded to being deplatformed from this event with this quote. He said, you know, I'm known as a frequent critic of Christianity, and I've never been deplatformed for that. Why is it fine to criticize Christianity but not Islam? Listen, when Richard Dawkins is coming to the defense of Christianity... You know that Christianity is now in this hostile culture. It's not impossible, but it's more hostile now than it used to be. But if we go back 2,500 years ago and we look at Daniel's culture, I think we'd agree that maybe it was worse. Daniel chapter 2, we see a worse culture. Daniel 2 verses 1 through 13, and here's what we read. We left off in Daniel 121 last week. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me. I want to know what it means. So the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was and then interpret it, I'm going to have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you can tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. 
Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. They clearly are not communicating well. Verse 8, the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize this is what I've already firmly decided. If you don't tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You've, in, you've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I'll know you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever even asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asked is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Listen, we have to recognize when we're in a hostile culture. But we have to see Daniel's culture as a little more hostile. I mean, look at this line in verse 13. Underline it if you haven't already. The decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men, start, start underlining here, were sent to look for Daniel and his friends and to put them to death. Listen, we can all agree that Daniel's culture was more hostile than ours. I mean, we might be made fun of. We might be looked down upon. We might be shunned every now and then. I don't know anyone that's had a knock on their door to be killed for their faith that lives in America yet. So Daniel lived in this hostile culture, but it didn't keep him from living for God. Last week, we, let, we read that in a hostile, hostile culture, Daniel lived for God. Why? Because he had faith over fear. And this week, this culture won't keep him from trying to impact and influence people spiritually. Why? Because he was going to choose faith over fear. Because Daniel understood what it was to be a follower of God. And did you know that as a follower of God, we are called to reach people, not only who are unaware of God, but we're even called to reach people who are opposed to God. So when Daniel got that knock at his door, Daniel didn't think to run. Daniel thought, this is now my opportunity because I am a God follower. This is my opportunity. Even in a hostile culture, God has given me this opportunity to help someone understand who God is. They might be unaware, they might be opposed, but maybe my life can change their mind. And you know what? It's interesting. We live in a world where so often we're afraid to tell our friends about God. We're afraid to tell our kids about God. We're afraid to tell our coworkers about God. We're afraid to post on social media what God is doing in our life. Daniel was preparing to tell his executioner about God. Not his friend, not his relative, not his spouse. The guy who was coming to kill him, Daniel was preparing to tell him about God. Faith over fear. Do you know that most people will meet a Christian before they meet Jesus? And the first encounter is going to significantly impact the second? Say, so what do you mean by that? Most people will meet a Christian before they meet Jesus. And how they view the Christian... And how the Christian loves them, regardless of culture, that's going to impact what they think of Jesus and how open they will be to Jesus. It's why God tells us in Matthew 5, 16, from the lips of Jesus, let your light shine before others so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What God is saying is live your life in such a way that you make God look good. Live your life in such a way that you make God look attractive. Live your life in such a way that people who are unaware of God will become aware of God. Live your life in such a way that those who are opposed to God may be open to God. Live with faith 
over fear, even in the face of a hostile culture. Why? Because number two, you have to recognize you have a higher calling. So we see in Daniel 2 this recognition of a hostile culture. They were coming to kill him. But we see in Daniel's life that was pushed by faith, not fear, that he had a recognition of a higher calling. We learned last week that Daniel had so much security and identity in his God that it couldn't be separated from his daily life, not even his diet. Daniel said, God is so much a part of me that you can't remove me from him or him from me. You can take my country, you can take my family, you can change my name, but you can't take my God unless you take my life because he's so much a part of who I am. If you knew Daniel, you knew about his God. His faith wasn't a church thing. His faith wasn't a Sunday thing. If you knew Daniel, you knew about Daniel's God. Could the same thing be said of you? Because I believe you want that to be said of you. I don't believe there's a Christian, today's presupposition, that doesn't want to have influence and impact spiritually. We want people to say, if people know me, it means they know my God. But we have to learn to push through fear and live in faith in those areas. The reality is when we look at the life of Daniel, we learn that every Christian is in full-time ministry to a world far from God, except the ones who work at churches. You say, wait a minute, what did you just say? Every Christian, like Daniel, is in full-time ministry to a world far from God. It's your full-time job to show people who God is, except for the ones who work at churches, because pastors like me, we spend more time with Christians than people who are far from God. Why? It's our job to strengthen Christians, to equip Christians, to train Christians, to comfort Christians. Why? So that they leave and go back to their full-time ministry role of showing the world who God is. That's how Ephesians 4 says real ministry is actually supposed to be done. So you're in full-time ministry every day to help a world who doesn't know God see who he is. You say, how do I do that? in a way that's both tactful and impactful. I'm glad you ask, because we see as we follow Daniel's story in Daniel chapter two, seven steps to a life of spiritual influence. Listen to me. If you wanna have spiritual influence, here's your pathway. If you've been thinking of a person at your work that you want to influence spiritually, here's your pathway. If you've been wanting to influence your spouse or your children, here's your pathway. If you've been trying to figure out how to minister to your mom and dad or your grandma or grandpa who don't know Jesus, Here's your pathway. If you've been trying to figure out how to minister to that friend in math class or that teacher in social studies, here's your pathway. From Daniel, seven steps to a life of spiritual influence. They are super practical. And I believe if we do them all, that they'll work. What are they? Number one, establish relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Establish relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Keep your Bible handy now or keep that app, app open we're just going to read one verse at a time through 2 Samuel chapter 2. Look at verse 14. The people are coming. The executioner's coming to put Daniel and his friends to death. It says, when Arioch, verse 14, the commander of the king's guard had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him. If you have a pen, underline the word spoke to him. What did Daniel do? He engaged him relationally. He engaged him relationally. When's the last time you just spoke to Someone who was far from God. When's the last time you just spoke to someone who was unaware of God? When's the last time you just spoke to someone who was opposed to God? You say, about what? About anything. It says that Daniel engaged this guy relationally, and it makes us think that maybe they knew one another, that they could have this conversation. Establish relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Most of you have already done step one. Good job, you're on your way. Step two, when you speak, use wisdom and use tact. Use wisdom and use tact. Let's look at verse 14 and read it all the way through this time. 
When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and with tact. Listen, folks, I don't know if you, if you know this, but there's a lot of the world who sees Christians as highly offensive in how they speak to people. Daniel could have said a lot of things to Arioch, the commander. Daniel could have spoke to him this way. If you kill us, you're going to go to hell. might have been true. He didn't say that. Daniel could have, before he got there, went ahead and went on a Facebook rant and said, Here, can you believe what's happening? If you disagree, it's wrong. I'm trying to get 100 likes. He could have did that. He didn't. Daniel could have said, I didn't vote for your boss. I actually voted for someone else, and this is why I didn't vote for her. We don't read that he got into any kind of political discourse. Daniel didn't say, do you know what my God is going to do for you, or your religion's not the right way mine is. It just says Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and with tact. He just began to engage him relationally. You know, I've learned when the good news is delivered in poor taste or with poor timing, it doesn't always sound good. He said, well, Jesus is good news. He sure is. But when good news is delivered in poor taste or with poor timing, it doesn't always sound good. When medicine that's good for you tastes bad to you, you're not eager to take it. You ever had kids with a sore throat that you tried to force some kind of cough medicine down their throat? It's good for them, but it tastes bad to them, so they don't want it. There is a Jesus who's very good for our world. But if we can't communicate with wisdom and tact and make him taste good to our world, it's going to be hard to help them understand who Jesus is. A few years ago, I got introduced to sushi for the very first time. I didn't think I'd be a huge fan of it, but I actually like it, especially the sashimi stuff, which is like just a little pillow of rice with like a little thin layer of something over it. And the first time they ever brought me a sushi plate, it looked something like this. And I learned that the green stuff was wasabi because of, of the beer commercial where, you know, they did the wasabi and then the what's up. Like, so I knew what that was. But I ate the fish. I ate the shrimp thing. That was easy to see. And I ate that one. And then I tried to eat the pink thing and it was just awful. And I remember asking the person with me, what is this stuff and why is there no rice with it? They're like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not pink stuff. I'm like, well, what is it? They're like, well, that's just, that's like a little something that you use to cleanse your palate so that after you eat a piece of shrimp or fish or sushi, you eat that so it totally wipes your taste buds clean so that you can fully taste the next fish. It's like, oh, so that's what that stuff is. That stuff cleans out a bad taste so that you can have a good taste is. You know what tact is? Tact is the pink stuff. We've had a world that's had some pretty untasteful Christianity shoved down their throat at some time or another. And you know what tact is? It cleanses the palate so that they'll be willing to listen again spiritually. If we're ever going to hope to engage the world in conversations about Jesus again, we have to learn tact. We have to learn wisdom. We have to pass every social media post. We have to pass every comment. We have to pass every like. We have to pass every smiley face. We have to pass every rude remark. We got to pass every bumper sticker through that lens of wisdom and tact. How will people who don't know Jesus take this? Another good way to learn how to do this, step number three, learn to ask questions. Learn to ask questions. Instead of just assuming things, learn to ask questions. Look at verse 15 as we continue. Daniel spoke with wisdom and tact. What did he say? He asked a question. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch showed up and he said, hey, I got to kill you and your friends. And Daniel said, why? Can you help, can you help me understand your perspective of something? I, I can already tell you I don't agree with it. 
But can you help me understand your perspective of something? Several years ago, I had a friend who I had tried for years to get to come to church with me, and he hated church. We were great friends. He had great respect for me, but he hated church and wouldn't come to church. I just, you know, figured he wasn't into Jesus for a really long time. And then finally one day I asked him, what's, what's the deal with you and church? And he went on to tell me a story about how 15 years earlier, after catching his wife engaged in an inappropriate affair with the same guy for the third time, that he decided that he was going to divorce her. And when he decided to divorce her, the pastors and deacons of his church came to his house and said, if you divorce her, you can't ever come back. And he said, I decided on that day I would never go back. And I thought, you know what? I understand now. You've given me a whole lot more wisdom. You've taught me to be a whole lot more tactful. And I'm sorry I wasn't more sensitive to even ask to understand why, why you think things the way you do. What if we begin to ask questions? When we hear things that people are passionate about or the, the things that people are turned off about, what if we would just simply learn to ask, why do you see things that way? What happened that you see things that way? Not to answer a question, but to learn. Why do we want to learn? Well, we want to learn so that we can open doors in people's lives that are locked. You see, if we can learn kind of where things have happened in the lives of people, the answers to questions will help us unlock doors in their life. One of my favorite statues in Israel is in Capernaum. It sits on the sea, uh, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, um, and it's a, it's a big statue of the Apostle Peter. He's got his staff as the kind of the leader of the church, and you can kind of see him as a fisherman. But if you zoom in a little bit, go to the next picture, if you would, you can see that he's holding a set of keys. And he's holding a set of keys because when he proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus said, yeah, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. See, I think a lot of times when we ask questions, those questions become the keys that help us kind of get into people's soul and understand their perspective on things so we can help them see who Jesus is. So learn to ask questions. Step number four, as we continue through the life of Daniel, we see that we have to let the answers to the questions provide our pathway to impact. Let the answers to the questions provide our pathway for impact. Their answers will help us understand where they may need ministry from us. Let's look at verse 15 and the first part of verse 16. Daniel asked the king's officer, what does wisdom and tact sound like? Ask questions. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and he asked for time. Once Daniel understood Arioch's perspective and the king's perspective, he tried to figure out how he could help the king see things differently. We have to figure out why people are um, either unaware or opposed to who Jesus is. And then if we care about them, we've got to do our homework and see if they'll give us some time to answer their questions, learn to read books, learn to ask more questions, follow-up questions, find articles that you can send to them, search your own life experience, talk to your small group about it, ask your pastors questions. There are answers to questions, and there are great questions. But we see Daniel took the answer to the question and went to the king and said, I'm going to try my very best, but will you give me time to answer this so maybe I can change your perspective on things? And the king actually said yes, which takes us to step number five. Daniel proved that he had a heart to help the hurt rather than just to convert the soul. 
As a matter of fact, we don't see any conversion attempt in this entire story. But Daniel went to the king and he said, I can tell you're troubled by something. Can I try to help with that? Have a heart to help the hurt rather than just convert the soul. Look at the second half of verse 16. Daniel went in and he asked for time. Why? So that he might interpret the dream for the king. Daniel basically told the king, I can, I can tell what's troubling you. I can tell you're bothered by this. I can tell this has shaped your perspective. Could I help you with that? Could I, could I help you in any way? Not so he could convert him, but so that he could help him. You know, I believe when somebody knows that you're for them, you want to help them, regardless of their faith, they may come to believe that you're for them in regards to faith too. Like when people know you're for them just because you care about them, they might then actually listen to what you have to say about faith as well. Let me say it this way. When people know that you'll love them, whether or not they love Jesus, they actually might be open to hearing what you have to say about Jesus. Let me say it again. When people know you're for them, and you love them, whether or not they ever love Jesus, they actually might then care what you have to say about Jesus. Step five is huge in this process. Step six is equally big in the supernatural realm. Number six, pray with people for people. Pray with people for people. Look at verses 17 and 18. Daniel went to the king and said, I want to help you. I want to help you. Give me some time. Then he went back to his friends. It says in verse 17, Daniel returned to his house. He explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He then urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. He said, guys, I need your help. I'm unsure what to do, so let's pray. Let's pray together for them. Now listen, I said on our Activate podcast that will come out after this message, we all know how to talk about people with people. We've mastered that. Like we're really good at getting in a group and talking about someone who's not in that group and everything that's going on with them. So since we've mastered that, all we have to do is take that skill and turn it upwards and begin to talk to God about those people, with those people, instead of just talk about those people behind their back. What does Jesus say about praying with people for people? In Matthew 18, 19, and 20, Jesus said it this way, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, It's going to be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three of you gather in my name, there I am with them. See, I've got a friend I really want to reach. When's the last time you and three friends got together and prayed for them? Begin to pray with people, for people. And then number seven, when you see God beginning to move, number seven, help people see how God is working for them. Help people see how God is working for them. Hang with me now in Daniel chapter 2, so we're going to jump around a little bit. Look at verse 19 of Daniel chapter 2, and then stay with me. We're going to roll through the rest of the chapter, kind of jumping around a little bit. Daniel 2, 19 says this. He asked his friends to pray. It says, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Then he went to see Nebuchadnezzar. Look now at verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream? Are you able to interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were laying in your bed are these. He told him the dream, but then he gets to the second half of verse 45. And here's why he says Nebuchadnezzar was shown the dream. Watch this. 
He says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Daniel was basically telling the king, let me tell you why all this has happened. Because God cares about you. Let me tell you who is the author of all these things. God is. Let me tell you why this has happened. Because God wants to get your attention that he's aware of you and that he loves you. And he wants to help you. At this point, Daniel didn't say, so you need to turn your heart to him and live for him. He would say that later. We'll talk about that in the last week of this series. But today, he just wanted him to know very tactfully, very impactfully. Listen, I'm not telling you the dream God is. Why? Because God has a message for you. God wants you to know he's aware of you. And God wants to be in your life. Help people see how God is working for them. Why? Why these steps? Why is this important in this Faith Over Fear series? Because here's what I believe, today's presupposition. Every Christian wants to have spiritual influence and impact on people. They just don't know how. So Christian, it's a really hostile culture. What if it goes badly for me? Well, I don't think it has to. I think living like Daniel allows us to tactfully and impactfully have impact in a way that honors God and helps people see him. And I want to show you how that's being done in the life of our congregation. One of our elders who helped us start our church is a man by the name of Robbie McCord. Robbie owns and operates Do Work CrossFit um, that's over by Lee Summit, kind of behind Home Depot. Robbie is one of the most tactful and impactful Christians that I know. He lives his life and runs his gym in a way to help people be aware of God. I asked him to tell a little bit of his story, how he does it. Listen to how his story lines up with Daniel's steps and see the impact you can have if you will choose to live in faith over fear in this area.
are you a Christian, Christian? I remember getting asked that question for the first time in second grade, and I remember being afraid. Are you a Christian, Christian? I had a social fear of spiritual rejection, even as an elementary school student. And a lot of you are sitting in here right now, and you have that social fear of spiritual rejection. And you say, well, Daniel, man, Daniel lived 2,500 years ago. Daniel's a person from the Bible, but Robbie's a person like you. Robbie lives in Lee Summit. Robbie works a job like you do. Robbie, like Daniel, is a person, if you know Robbie, you know his God. Tactfully and impactfully, he's just made God an everyday part of his life, and people are being impacted. What if all of us would live a life that way? What would our community look like if every Christian lived a bold, unashamed, tactful, and impactful brand of Christianity? You say, man, I want to do that. What do I do? Start with one step. Start with one step. We've listed the seven steps from Daniel today. Start with one and go from there. This week's faith over fear moment. Last week I asked you to dream a dream. What would you attempt for God if you knew that it could not fail? I've had conversations with people all week long of people who have been thinking on that question and trying to hear from God about what God would want them to do in faith. This week's faith over fear moment. Pick one person in your life who's far from God and take the next step of spiritual influence with them. Start a relationship, start a conversation, begin to ask questions, figure out how to unlock doors of their life where they may allow God to enter and his truth to enter in. But pick one person and begin to move forward with tact and with wisdom. Are you a Christian Christian? Yes, I am. I am. And Jesus has changed my life in a way that I'm proud of and in a way that I'm burdened to see happen in the lives of others. If we can live in faith over fear in this area, man, God could move in our community in an unprecedented way. We pray with me that 